Well, it is amazing what happens when the weather warms up and kids can get out and everything comes to life, neighbors come out. One thing that my youngest uh, son, Aaron, who is six, what he's been recently doing is he just loves to be outside and he loves to shoot baskets in the basketball hoop in our neighbor's house across the street because we don't have one. Um, they've got it at just the right height where he's six, he can you shoot and make it and stuff, so he's out there all the time. And what he's been doing recently in this last week is he's been working on his trick shots. Because what every basketball coach knows is that you should spend 90% of practice working on your half-court shots, right? Because that's so practical for a game. But he's really been working on his trick shots. And one of his trick shots, which I just learned a week ago, is he stands actually completely behind the hoop. So the hoop is facing this way. He's actually standing behind it. And he lobs it way up in the air to clear the backboard and to land down inside the net. The only problem is if he's a little short, the way that the basketball hoop is set up is the ball gets stuck up there at the top. Now, I didn't realize what he was doing at first. The first time he called me out and he said, because he's too short, he said, Dad, can you help me reach this ball? It got stuck. So I'm like, oh, sure, you know, I run over. I'm I'm happy my kids play outside, right? So I get the ball for him. I hand it to him. I'm like, here you go, son. You just keep on playing. Um, I walk back across the street into our house, and before I can close the door, I hear him yell my name again. Dad, dad. And so I go out there and I see it's stuck in the same place again. So I walk out there, I get it down, and by now I do what the wise parent would do. I ask questions. How did this get stuck? What are you doing? And so he told me, well, I'm standing back here and I'm shooting it and it's getting stuck. And I'm like, okay, stop it. (laughs) If you do this again, it's going to stay there for a while because I can't just keep going back and forth. I need to make supper, blah, blah, blah. And so I get it down. I hand it to him. I go inside the house. And sure enough, a couple minutes later, he walks in. Dad, <laughs> it's stuck again. Uh, what would you do? If, if you were his father, what would you do? Just think about that. Okay, so he got it stuck twice. I warned him, and now he got it stuck again. If you were his father, what would you And as I played out that scenario and as I thought about it, it kind of brought me back to what we're doing in this series is we're talking about getting unstuck. And what we're going to focus on today is why it is we keep getting stuck again. Even if we get unstuck, it's like we tend to get stuck again. And we've talked about some amazing things in this series. We've talked about anxiety, being unstuck from anxiety, unstuck in your marriage, unstuck at work, unstuck... um, in doubt, and, and we've, we've brought up all these topics, but what I know is we don't have enough weeks to go through all the things you guys can get stuck in, and, and me too. There's just too many things, too many topics, and so what we hope to do this final week is kind of to tie a bow on this thing, and even if we haven't brought up an area of life where you're feeling stuck, what we talk about today will be a general principle that you can apply anywhere. And even if we have gotten you unstuck, chances are you're going to get stuck again. Here's the general truth. And I learned this from my six-year-old, and I think it's true of all of us as adults. It's number one on your sheet. Anybody can get unstuck. Few stay unstuck. Anyone can surround themselves with a group of friends. We can curb ourselves. We can set up rules and things. We can get ourselves unstuck and get traction to get free But what often happens is we just kind of fall back into that same place and we get stuck again. And we get free and we get stuck again. And we get free, we get stuck again. It's this cycle of getting stuck. And what we're going to see today is one habit 
that you can do today that will give you traction going forward. And this one habit, more than any other thing you could possibly do, will help to keep you unstuck, no matter the area of your life, whether we've talked about it or not. Now, you might, before we dig into that, we're going to look at um, something that James wrote in just a minute. Before we do that, you might be thinking to yourself, whatever area of life you keep getting stuck in, because hopefully by now you have something in mind, Whatever area it is, you might think to yourself, yeah, I keep getting stuck again, but I can get myself out, and it's not that bad. And yeah, I keep getting stuck, but you know what? God hasn't done anything. It's not like catastrophe has struck me or he sent a bolt of lightning. You know, this, I think God's okay with this. It's just a little bit of stuck. But if that's how you view your thing, um, what the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago serves as a wake-up call. The Apostle Paul acknowledged, you know what, yeah, sometimes it seems like God isn't doing anything or he doesn't care what we're doing or, yeah, we, we feel like we can handle our stuck. But here was his warning. This is what he wrote. He said, do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you somewhere? The reason why God hasn't miraculously showed up in your life to take away whatever it was you were stuck in is because he is strategically patient to lead you to one thing. And before we fill in the blank and give you that one thing and send you home today, um, we need to figure out with, with God's help some of the reasons why we tend to keep getting stuck again and again and again. And to do that, this is where we're going to turn to, to a guy named James. And this is interesting. He was actually the brother of Jesus. And like you, if your brother told you he was the son of God and the Messiah of this world, you would probably not believe him. James didn't buy it. He was stuck in doubt. But when Jesus came alive again, James's doubt could not survive. After Jesus rose, James became this pillar of the New Testament church and he began instructing people and he was this leader. And it's almost like he knew the struggles people could go through. He knew people had these doubts or he knew that people could get stuck in things. And so he says, there's this one thing you need to do in order to stay unstuck. And he's going to open that up for us here. We're going to turn to James chapter 1 starting at verse 22. This is what he said. Here's our problem. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. And the word he's talking about is the word of God, the message from God, whether it's what you hear in church or what you read in the Bible or get from a devotion, whatever it is. It says don't merely listen to it because if you just listen to it and you say that's good enough, you deceive yourself. And he goes on, the opposite of just merely listening to the word is to do what it says. So now he's made this full circle. Don't just merely listen to it. Why don't you do what it says? And this is very similar to what his brother Jesus said once. The longest recorded sermon we have of Jesus ends with this picture. Jesus said, listen, listen, listen. I've told you a lot of things. Whoever listens to these words of mine and plus and puts them into practice is like a wise man. He gives this picture of, of, of what that means. Listen and do. Listen and do. Listen and do. And James said, if, if you're just a listener and you say that's good enough, you are deceiving yourself. 
And here's why I do this and probably why you do this too. You see, we can be at a church service or we can be reading the Bible or, or see something online where, you know, God's truth is just right there. And, like, there's this deep conviction in us. In fact, some Christians even go so far as to make this verbal noise. Like, mmm, that was a good point. Mmm, that just strikes home. Wow, there's this inner conviction or this enlightenment. And we're like, that is so good. Preach it, preacher. And, and we want this to keep going. And we equate that with spiritual traction. It is good to hear, but it is not good to only hear. God says you need to hear and you need to put that into practice. When you're moved by the mmm, you need to put it into actual practical steps in your life. And if you could summarize it, I think that's the reason why most of us get stuck again and again and again. Because we think in order to get unstuck, I just need to learn a little more. I need to understand myself better. I need to grow in my knowledge. And growing in knowledge is good. But James would say it's not that complicated. When you hear something, just do it. Uh, number two on your sheet, the big, biggest reason that you might stay stuck is because you're really good at deceiving yourself. I'll give you a little extra time because usually it's I before E except for deceive. It's E before I. So make sure you get that right. Um, the biggest reason we might stay stuck is because we are so good at deceiving ourselves. Here's what it looks like for me. Like I'll listen to a message, I'll read something, and I'll say, mmm, that is good, that is good, that's just what I needed. Now I can change my, the way I see things or whatever. But a lot of times I'm like, you know what, that's for the other people in this room. That's for the people who are a lot worse than I am because I know I'm kind of stuck and I've got my problems, but I can handle it. I can handle it. I don't need to change anything. I just needed a little knowledge get me moving again. Or we can do the opposite where we're like, oh, wow, that is good, but that's only for the really good Christians in this room. There's no way I could really do that in my life. And so we kind of deceive ourselves out of actually doing what it is that God puts on our hearts. James says, stop it. Stop shooting the basket from behind the basketball hoop. You're getting yourself stuck by only listening and not actually putting into practice. And James was so passionate about this. I'm sure he saw in his day that people were going to the synagogue or going to the temple or gathering in Christian homes and they were reading and listening to the apostles and people were like, wow, that's amazing. But James says, your faith is more than just what you know. Your faith is what you do. Your faith works. Your faith is active. And he is so passionate about this that James goes on to explain what he means with this illustration that none of us would even think is realistic. But he was kind of going for some shock value here, and you'll see what I mean in just a minute. He said, anyone who listens to the word, mm, but does not do anything about it, doesn't do what it says, is, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. Now here's where I would have you raise your hand if you looked in a mirror this morning. But if you look around, you can tell who didn't look in a mirror this morning. There's no need to raise hands here. Because here's the thing. When you look into a mirror, it drives you to action. When you wake up in the morning, you look in that mirror and you say, oh my goodness, what happened? 
and you need to fix this and shave that and tweezer this and all these things. Whenever you look into a mirror, it drives you to action unless you're Pastor Ben. And you're just perfect the way you are. Your hair is just glorious and everything. You don't need to shave. It's just beautiful the way it is, right? It's... Anytime we look into a mirror, it makes you a little uneasy. I need to do this. I need to fix that. Maybe it's a bigger picture. Okay, I need to get to the gym again. I need to fix this. Or, you know, looking into the mirror always drives you to want to do something. So James picks up this illustration. He says, all of us do this. When you look into a mirror, you want to do something. But if you listen to the word of God, but don't do what it says... You are like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Wow, that is bad. Whew. Look horrible. But I'm not going to do anything. He just walks away and doesn't do a single thing. We would never do that. If that's who you are, you wouldn't even look in the mirror to begin with. The reason you look in the mirror is to see what needs to be done and to do something about it. And you keep looking into the mirror until you look good enough. James says if, if we get that with just our faces, why don't we do that on a deeper level too? See, when you look at God's word, it's showing you not just the ideal you, but it's showing you a reflection of you. Um, The Apostle Paul said, I wouldn't know what certain sins were if it weren't for this mirror of God's word, if it weren't for looking into it and seeing my reflection. And he got a clear picture of who he was. And as we look into the mirror, it should absolutely drive us to one thing, one habit that has the power to keep you unstuck, no matter what area you need traction in. As the Apostle Paul talked about it, he says, don't take God's inactivity as, as a way for him to you know, condone you being stuck. You can't handle this on your own. This is an opportunity for God to strategically lead you to something. And as we go back to what Paul said, he says this, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, not realizing that God's kindness is intended, designed To lead you to repentance. That is the one thing where if you can make this a regular part of you, it has the power to keep you unstuck in unimaginable ways. Repentance. And repentance is simply this. You look into the mirror of God's word and you see all the things that aren't supposed to be there. And you realize that there's nothing you can do about it. So rather than just walking away and forgetting what you saw, you pause at that mirror and you... You say to God, God, this is deeper than I can handle. The sin in my life, I can curb it. I can get people around to give me accountability around it. But the sin in my life, the the issue is so much deeper than what I can fix. And repentance is to say, God, the way I am, the way I am is because I am a sinful human being. And I can't do anything about that, but I believe you can. I give you my sin, knowing that Jesus gives me his righteousness in its place. That is repentance. 
And the more you get to that core issue, the more traction you will have to get unstuck, no matter the place in your life. Because here's the thing. When we don't get to the heart and core of it, all we do is we try to adjust how we react to the symptoms. And like a doctor would never just say, oh, you have strep throat. Here's some Tylenol for the fever. No, you address the core problems. And if you're finding yourself continually getting stuck, 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 stuck in the same area of life, this is God strategically inviting you to perhaps repent. To acknowledge that the core of the issue is not how well you behave. The core issue is that you need his forgiveness. And James, as he, as he pours out into this, he says, if only people would pause to regularly do this. Um, I'll say it this way, number three on your sheet. If repentance is not a regular part of you, at least part of you will regularly become stuck. Whatever part maybe it is you wrestle with the most. So what does repentance look like from here on out? And I already told you, it really begins with that moment of saying, God, I don't just want to address the symptoms here. Would you please transform my heart with your forgiveness in your life? God says, I love it when you ask for that. Aaron, I love it when you ask me where you should shoot the ball from. Not on that side. No more. Shoot from this side. God loves it when you ask him to forgive you. Because when he addresses the heart of the matter, it's then that you can start finding some traction in these areas where you just seem to get stuck. But moving forward, to actually get unstuck requires more than just a moment of prayer with God each day, but it requires intentionality with the way you live and how you decide to live. Because here's the thing, you got stuck because of what you were doing. And if you just keep doing what got you there, it won't get you out. So as James puts a, ties a bow on this, he says, when it comes to repentance and living a life of regular repentance, there's really one thing you should just continue to keep in mind when it comes to the way you live. And he summarizes it this way. He says, whoever looks intently into the law that gives freedom, and I'm going to pause there because if you grew up a Lutheran or maybe even just a, a, a Christian, that doesn't make sense to you. The law doesn't give freedom, does it? Um, the law of God, it shows us how bad we've sinned, but I'll explain this in a moment. The perfect law of God does give you freedom. And we'll see why in just a moment. Whoever looks intently into the law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, not just hearing, but doing. Not just hearing, but doing. And no matter how much you hear, you're moved more and more to do. This is the result. You will be, he will be blessed. Last part here. He will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. If you hear and then you do, what you do will be blessed. If you hear, then you do, what you do will be blessed. That is God's promise to you. That if you hear what his word has to say and then you put it into practice, he says what you put into practice will be a blessing for you and a blessing for others. The big question then goes back to what he means by this perfect law that gives freedom. Because quite often we don't view laws as things that give freedom. We view laws as things that curb our freedom. But the law of God is perfect. And here's why. The law that we grew up with, that we were born with, looks a little something like this. Do to others as they have done to you. 
That's the reciprocal law that we just kind of put into practice. Do to others as they have done to you. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It kind of works out in the end, right? Kind of. Except this is what got you stuck in the first place. Try doing that in a marriage for a while and see how it turns out. Do to them as they have done to you. Except when we do to them as they've done to us, we usually step it up a notch because of the harm they've done to us. So we need to make sure they feel the harm. And so we step it up and then they step it up and it's this cycle. You see, this is what gets a lot of us stuck in the first place. And so some, one day some people ask Jesus, um, Jesus, we know it's said, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. What do you think about that? What is the greatest law? And Jesus said, well, there's kind of two that go in tandem. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second one is this. He gave the golden rule. He said, do to others as you would have them do to you. And in this golden rule, which we all learned in kindergarten, right? In this golden rule, he stepped it up a notch. Now, all of a sudden, we are putting ourselves in their shoes. We see things from their perspective. And we want to love them as they need to be loved. But even this, even this is a bit subjective because my idea of, what, of how you should love me is probably different than your idea of how I should love you. So even our standards of love can be different. And yet James points to this and he says, this is the perfect law that gives freedom because, because Jesus took it to a new level. In what would have blown their minds, the night before Jesus died, he was sitting down with his disciples for supper. And after three years of talking to them and teaching them, he said, guys, I've got a new command for you. And they would, they, I can't imagine what they were thinking. Three years, you've been teaching us and all these things. We already know that you've summarized God's law in two commands, love God and love your neighbor. So is this like one new command? Is it replacing the commands? And Jesus says, you'll understand by this time tomorrow what I mean. A new command I give to you, the perfect law I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. And with that, Jesus gave this new standard of love that if you put this into practice, wherever you are stuck, this alone has the power to get you out. This is the natural conclusion of genuine repentance. Father, the problem is not in my behavior. The problem is in my heart. Would you forgive me? He says, yes, child, I have loved you. I forgive you. And then you go out in your life and say, I want to love as you have loved me. And when you put all that together, you get traction that can get you unstuck, even if you've been stuck for a while. And maybe what some of you just need to hear is not so much the focus on what you need to do, but maybe you're feeling, I've just been stuck for so long, and I get out, I go back, I get out and go back. My Father in heaven must be so disappointed. Just focus on these last few words. He says, I have loved you. I have loved you doesn't matter how long you've been shooting hoops from the wrong side. I've loved you. And I'll summarize it this way. When, when a person has this genuine repentance and a changing of heart and a heart that's been forgiven by God, they will stay unstuck, e- even if the factors around them might not be the greatest. As far as their relationship with God, things will be good. Number four, stay unstuck. Love as God loves. Love as God loves. 
Imagine what would happen in a marriage. Yeah, you've tried to change things, but imagine what would happen if you decide to love as God loves. Not love as they have loved you, not love them as you would have them love you, but love them as God loves them. You'd get some traction there pretty quick. Imagine a work environment where you decide to love as God loves. Imagine using your finances now in a way that loves others as God has loved you. This heartbeat of regular confession, repentance, and then setting before you this new path to love as God loves, this is what will keep you unstuck, even if we haven't talked about an area of life where you're feeling stuck. So if you're the father, what would you do? Keeps getting that ball stuck up in that basketball hoop. I told him not to. He kept doing it. If you're his father, what would you do? Well, it doesn't really matter what you would do because I am his father. I have loved him. And sometimes I can decide that I will let him stay stuck for a while so that he can see how he can love others better as God has loved him. And I eventually got the ball down. He still has it. We're, we're still good. But what about you? What does God, your Father in heaven, think when you keep getting stuck and stuck and stuck and stuck? You know what? Maybe he'll take a season of your life and just let you stay there for a while. Not because he enjoys you being stuck or because he doesn't care about you. But maybe your loving Father in heaven knows what you need best. He's giving you this opportunity in his patience to let you repent to turn your heart on him, to acknowledge the sin in your life is a result of your sin in your heart and that you need him to step in and forgive it. And then he empowers you as his child. I want you to go and love as I have loved. And that has the power to sustain you and to keep you unstuck throughout your life. In just a minute, we're gonna close here with a final song um, called New Wine. I, I wanna set it up a little bit because the, the meaning is so rich and so deep. Um, in biblical times, and even today, making a new batch of wine is a lot of work. You'd have to plant the, the grapevines, you'd have to water them and nurture them, you'd have to let them grow, um, you'd have to take care of the grapes, you'd have to pick the grapes at just the right time, um, you'd have to squish them and, and crush them. You'd have to take the juice. You'd have to add the right things to it. Put it in the right environment. You'd have to wait and wait and wait until that new wine is ready. It's a process. And what I want you to think about as we close this series is, what if God had a plan for you? And what if you've just been getting stuck in it? the thing with wine is that if you get stuck in one part of the process for too long, it spoils the wine. You can't really do anything with it. But God has a plan for you. What if maybe his plan is to use your story and your experience to help someone else from getting stuck in the same place? What if God was in this moment of being stuck? What if he was even growing you and nurturing you? And at the right time, setting you apart to where you need to be, perhaps allowing you to be crushed, but only because it's in that trial that your faith in him is strengthened. And what if he was just waiting, waiting and waiting and giving you this time to grow closer to him so that he could pour new wine out of you, new wine for this special purpose and this special thing. 
what I hope you take away is that even if you think God has given up on you because you've been stuck too long, too much, you have a Father in heaven who loves you. And he's waiting patiently for you to come back to him. As we sing this final song, it's going to be a reminder that there's different times, different phases in this waiting. But he alone can do great things because he alone has taken away sin and death. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, so many people um, listening here in the room, uh, so many people watching or listening from online, and I know that no matter how long a series like this goes, there's no way we could address every situation where we can get unstuck and how we can um, set ourselves up in a way that you wouldn't have us to, to be set up. So I pray that you'd simply give all the people listening the wisdom to do what needs to happen next. Maybe it's a season of just pausing and, and meditating and turning to you daily in repentance and asking for that fruit to, bear, to, to, uh, bear, to come out of us. Um, maybe it's surrounding ourselves with the right people to, to walk us to where we need to be. I simply pray that you'd grow us, no matter where we are, closer to you every day so that we can get out of the stuck and stay close to you until we see you face to face in heaven. I ask all those things through the one who came to this earth to live and die and live again for us. 